Hello? You're listening to the home of cool, irreverent, and entertaining talk right here on L.A. Talk Radio. Listening to the Art of Love with your host Lucia, right here on LA Talk Radio. And welcome to The Art of Love. I am your host and a dating and relationship expert, and I'm here to entertain, educate, and enlighten you about love, dating, and relationships, solve your dating dilemmas, take your live calls, answer your emails, and speak to authors of books which I think are helpful and fascinating, such as the one today. Now, I was trying to call the author... Just before I got in the air, you may have heard me say hello. <laughs> so let me try again, because she was calling me when I was calling her. And that doesn't usually work now, does it? Okay, let's hope this works. Okay, it's, at least it's ringing. Hello. Hi, Catherine, it's Lucia. Hi, Lucia. Hi, were you trying to call me? No. Oh, Okay. Because I was trying to, I don't know if I, you heard the phone ring, because I was trying to call you a bunch of times before the show started. We're actually on the air right now. Oh, okay. okay. Are we talking to everyone? <laughs> we are talking to everyone. That's right. Oh, that's great. No, I've been sitting by the phone, and oh. for some reason it didn't ring, so that's kind of odd. Okay. All right. Little I was phone. just about to call you. Okay, good. All right. Well, we're on the air now, so um, I really enjoyed your book, of course. It's called Calling in the One, and you are a licensed psychotherapist. And uh, the book is based on the Law of Attraction. It's a provocative yet simple seven-week program, and uh, it's supposed to bring forth the love you seek. And for each of the 49 days, there's a daily lesson of um, meditation, visualization, journaling, which will gently lead people to clear the obstacles in their path to love. And at the end of those 49 days, they should be in the ideal emotional state to go out in the world and find the one. Did yes. I re- <laughs> so um, in reading this book, I actually found out you and I have a lot in common. Excellent. What, what do we have yes. in common? Yes. Well, first, I mean, you're a quarter Italian, right? I am. I am. You're Sicilian. I'm Italian. Well, I'm a full-blooded Italian from Calabria. No. So, <laughs> but that's not all. Uh, and you um, had a singing career that you were uh, doing in, when you were... In your younger years, shall we say? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I did too. And you attended the Marianne Williamson lectures, and I did too. Oh, yeah, that was way back when. Yes, those were the that good old days. She was so well known, and she was just writing a return to love at that point, and we had her all to ourselves here in Los Angeles. I know. I, I actually went to see her at the Wilshire E. Bell. Did you ever go to see her there? I did. When everyone would line up for, you know, and it was just a huge crowd of people going on Monday nights to see her mm-hmm. it was wonderful but yeah, um, great. yeah so tell me a bit about your background and then your story about how you found your one 
Well, I wrote the book really because I did it myself, and it was uh, an act of service and love to be able to just share the process because I created such a miracle for myself. I've been single for many, many years and had a very heartbreaking pattern of attracting in unavailable men, even though I really, really wanted to find the right partner and have a child. And um, I, I worked on my, I was working on myself for many years and, you know, doing a lot of, um, you know, participating in the world and creating good things in the world. And, and yet I just, beside, you know, in, in spite of all of my best efforts, and, and a lot of times I wouldn't know until about six months into the relationship mm. that I was really with someone who was like a workaholic or had an alcohol problem. Um, and, and it was very, very heartbreaking and discouraging. And when I was in my early 40s, I kind of had a now or never moment. And I'd been working with a group of people where we had been setting intentions together. And, and it was a very unique group because it was, it was even a step up from what I'd say a support group would be. Mm-hmm. There was a way that when we would share what we were wanting to create, we would really invest in each other and kind of hold the intention together. And I've since discovered that there was a a study done not too long ago at Princeton University where they were looking to to see if there was actually a um, a relationship between setting an intention and the actual outcomes. They were working with a random numbers machine, and they would have someone intend a particular number and Mm. see what number came up. And they Mm -hmm. actually proved scientifically Mm -hmm. that intention does indeed influence outcome. But what they also discovered in the study that they had not originally been looking for was that when bonded groups of people, and I mean like groups of people who knew one another, who were invested in each other, would together take on an intention that it was six times more likely to happen than if an individual alone set an intention. And so um, Calling in the One is is written actually for people to do it together. I encourage people, I have a whole section there which says how to do this with other people and there are discussion questions at the end of each chapter. But it's really inside of this holding a, a collective intention with each other. So I was a member of this group and in a moment of frustration because I had done it yet again where I'd been dating someone, lovely man for about six months in and uh, he then kind of into- told me when it was just getting to the place where we'd go deeper and in, in, into a deeper commitment, he informed me that I was really kind of a transitional relationship mm. with him because he had had uh, a, his wife passed away mm. the year before. So um, that was like my bottom, like how I had yeah. done this yet again and not seen it coming. And so I set an intention to be engaged. And uh, by my 42nd birthday, I had no prospects for a husband. That was eight months away. I'd been trying to find the right one for many years, so it was kind of an outrageous intention. Mm-hmm. But I did something very smart. Instead of running out to find love, because I'd been doing that for so many years, I actually knew enough to go within to discover all the barriers that I had built against it. And so I really did an inside job. And every day I began with meditation and kind of like this inside this place of deep listening and receptivity, really moving into my own inner knowing, what area of my life did I need to look at today? What did I need to transform? What did I need to take responsibility for? What did I need to let go of and clean up from my past? What did I need to begin cultivating within myself to become the woman that I would need to be, to be engaged by my 42nd birthday? So I, I really took it on as inner transformation, and I began to look very deeply at myself as the source 
of my own experience. So even though on a conscious level I had wanted to find love, I started to really look at the parts of me that might be ambivalent or looking for to make conscious the beliefs about relationships that would have me um, want to sabotage relationships or be unavailable myself to really create what it was that I was longing for. Mm-hmm. And several um, weeks into this process, and I was very diligent about it, and I really designed my whole life around it. And then I did some external things too, like I feng shuied my house for relationship, and I'd never noticed until that time that I, all the artwork on my walls was really like these single women who were kind of staring off into space very nobly, but all alone, you know. (laughs) So I took them down and I replaced it with images of couples and happiness Mm. and community. And I started to, you know, put pairs of things in my home. And I just really started to design my life and how I was living inside of the future that I was committed to creating. So it really became like the organizing principle was this inner transformation of becoming who I would need to be being in order to have the love that I was yearning for. And as I said, several weeks into the process, I had this um, thought that I should call this man who I had not seen in six years. Mm. And I had dated him before, and I kind of messed it up, and then he came back a year later, and I kind of messed it up again, too, because I had some drama going on, and I I really wasn't available. Uh But he stayed with me as a very good, very kind man who I was very attracted to, who I liked a lot. And there was definitely a chemistry there, and I just wasn't, I just kind of, even though I thought I was ready, I I created some uh, problems in the relationship. And so I hadn't seen him in six years, but I'm a little shy. I can be a little shy, and I resisted calling him. I didn't call him. Two weeks after that, I went to a church service um, here at the Agave Church Mm. in uh, in, uh, Culver City, Mm -hmm. which I had been a member of for at least 10 years at that point, and never seen this man at. And I was in the parking lot in between services, and I look up, and there he is, right, two weeks after I thought of him. Wow. And I, again, got kind of shy, and and I felt bad because I had kind of rejected him a couple, you know, six years before. And so I hesitated, and, and when I finally was ready to go and, you know, gathered my courage to go seek him out and say hello, he had left. So I thought, well, that must not be meant to be, and I just kind of went on my way. And a couple of weeks later, I was uh, complaining to a dear friend who was one of my core vision keepers, one of the people holding the commitment with me. Mm-hmm. It was the end of March. My birthday was August 1st. I still hadn't met him. How is it going to be? <laughs> like, he's late. You know, where is he? He's right. late. And, um, and she convinced me to get on the Internet. Now, this is a long time ago when uh-huh. it wasn't as acceptable as right. it is now. So I was hesitant, and I didn't really want to. And it was kind of outside of the thing that I would normally do. And how I say it now is it's kind of outside my identity to take that kind of an action. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't this, it wasn't my self-image that I did things like that. But I was open. I was willing. I was coachable. So I, I just followed her direction. And I got on this site. There were a quarter of a million people on the site. And I just typed in all my stats, and maybe 30 potential or 80 potential matches came up. And that night, I was just kind of reading through 30 of them. Now, at that point, this is nine years ago, 10 years ago, so mm-hmm. nobody had their, 10 years ago almost, nobody wow. had their pictures up. Oh. So I um, just anonymously was drawn to this one man just because he seemed like to actually have similar values. 
one of the things he said in his profile was um, that we all belong to each other mm. and that he felt like on the deepest level we were all really connected and related and that really deeply resonated for me. So I just wrote him just this little email with just signing my first name only and that was the only person I responded to. The next day when I turned on my computer and checked my email, I saw that this man had written me back and his name was in parentheses and it was the man that I had dated six years earlier. And so I didn't even make it mean that it was such a sign. I thought, oh, well, I'm, he must need to be in my life right now. But we went out and uh, I, I, I let him know who I was and that was a big shock to him. And we went out later on in the week for uh, tea and we just talked for hours and hours and hours and by the time we left at the end of the night, I knew that he, that he was my husband. Wow. And uh, we were married the following year and then the next year I gave birth to my daughter. Our, to our beautiful daughter at the age of 43. So when I created that miracle of manifestation for myself, I, I just started to teach some friends. I would say, well, come and I'm going to do this workshop and I want to teach you and how to do this. And I started to really break down very clearly what the main obstacles were and what the beliefs were and how to shift them and how to start to actually cultivate a vision and live inside of this future fulfilled so that you become powerfully magnetic to not just someone but actually mm -hmm. the right person for you. And as I was teaching, my students were asking me to please write this down because they had women in other cities and people that they wanted to share the work with. So that's how I actually started mm -hmm. to write the book, Calling in the One. And it, it really is this 49-day guide to inner transformation to be able to identify and release the obstacles to love and then to become really powerfully magnetic to the kind of relationship that would really be unprecedented and outside of anything that you've ever experienced before, but is what we're really longing for and on some level holding out for and waiting for. Right, right. You know, it's funny because, you know, you mentioned seeing the person that would be your husband at Agape. Because uh, a friend of mine, before she was married, she had a similar experience. She had met this guy years earlier uh, in another state where she was living. And they were supposed to go out, but then it just never happened. Then she moved to Los Angeles for many years. And then, of course, she would go back home to visit family. And she was in church one day, and she saw the guy. And she went over to him to say hello. And she said as she was walking there, she felt so happy inside and she, like, she knew something great was about to happen. And indeed, that guy ended up being her husband. Oh, isn't that <laughs> So There is that sense, that, that, that felt sense in the body. You know, there, there are studies that say that, um, that have demonstrated that a lot of times we'll just kind of intuitively know things and we'll feel things in our bodies before they actually happen. And so we're really looking and calling in the one to kind of alter our conscious into the consciousness into that state of anticipation. One of the things that we're looking at is kind of the covert beliefs mm -hmm. that we have about relationship, which so often really just is are, are, are the assumptions that we have inside of the modeling that we saw in our parents' lives and mm -hmm. their relationship. And so for a lot of us, I've discovered that being single is kind of a lesser of two evils. Right. Right? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> kind of a step up, right? <laughs> because so many of us are really drawn towards actualizing our potential in a way that our mothers and our grandmothers, there, there really wasn't that possibility, even in the culture. You know, the culture right. didn't support that. Yeah. 
And so we're really being called into a whole different kind of relationship. And so the relationship that we're really yearning for is not necessarily a relationship that we've ever seen modeled. And so we have to start to put in our consciousness and create in our consciousness what it is that would really represent the ideal relationship. So instead of just a kind of a covert assumption in the background that relationships will somehow take away from the pursuit of my full self-expression or my uh, career success, we really start to have to imagine the ha- what it would be like to have a relationship that not only doesn't take away from mm-hmm. our lives, but actually enhances our lives to such an extent that we can create more because that relationship is in our lives. Well, and also I found that the book, there's so much wisdom and knowledge in there that it's actually, I think everyone should read it, not just someone who's looking for the one, even married people, just anyone, because there's things that don't even necessarily just apply to relationships, but it just applies to life in general. Right. Thank you so much for saying that. I've had a lot of people say that, and mm-hmm. a lot of people who are married read the book. I even had one whole family, if you can believe it. I had a mother and a father and six adult siblings Mm -hmm. who lived all around the country. They made a weekly time to do a conference call, and they all did the Calling in the One course together, and they healed their family inside of doing that. It was really quite profound. That's fantastic. But Calling in the One is really based on the premise if you want a great, extraordinary relationship, you have to be living your A life. You have to be your best self and bringing that, and whatever it is that's like on the list that you want your partner to be, you need to be living that. We need to be that ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because from a law of attraction perspective, that's how your beloved will recognize you. Yeah, well, right? remember, that's what Marianne Williamson used to say. You'd have to be the person that would be uh, attractive to the person you're looking for. Absolutely. Um, do you think there's only one one, or do you believe there can be several people who can be the one I do believe that there are that we kind of we're, we're tribal beings, and that we have like soul families. Um, I've definitely like called in the one as it relates to my business partner, as it relates to my agent. I think that if you're living, knowing what you're committed to creating for yourself and for others, that there is a community of people, and that we can have very rich, deep relationships with many different people. And it's actually in the first week of the course to start to open up to the deeper levels of soul connection and deeper levels of mutual care that we have with the many people that are in our lives and to also be striving to begin generating um, a lot more love in general with our connections with everyone. And also in our culture, you know, when the happily ever after myth was created, mm-hmm. it was about, I mean, it's been, a, it's been a myth that's had various forms for several hundred years, but it really came into kind of the collective consciousness in, I believe, the late 18th century with a Frenchman who wrote it down, and it became a very popular fairy tale. So the the happily ever after myth was really created when the lifespan was about between 30 and 35. Mm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I just went to my grandmother's 100th birthday party. Wow. We're living in a very, very different time. And one of the things that we need to learn how to do is to be able to create loving relationships and to part lovingly from people if that's where what needs to happen and that's the deepest truth of of each other's past. So we need to, you know, be able to create cohesion for our children and in our communities and learn how to part with love if uh, we are indeed can move on to another relationship. So I believe that 
that um, each relationship is its own universe and its own particular blessing and that you can have a very uh, you know, destined relationship for love that's very, very deep and very, very right, and it's not necessarily meant to, to last for a whole lifetime. Well, I can totally identify with that because um, I've never been married, and I'm I'm very very hap- I'm very happily single. But you know, uh, I for me it's like it's very normal to be with someone for a certain amount of time, and then you know they go, and then oh well, here comes someone else, and I'm happy with them for a while, and then on to someone else. To me, for me, that's the norm. Right, and well, that, and that's and that and and so obviously you have learned how to do you know you're working on that how to do endings well and how to keep love present in the relationship and respect and kindness and mutuality. I, I think you know there's a paradigmatic shift that's happening in relationships now, where if you look at the history of marriage, marriage was really founded as an institution based upon security and safety. Right. It was an economic necessity. And um, it, it really was was much more about raising children and securing um, the tribe, where you know it's not it's not really a relevant paradigm. Particularly, what's happening in the world right now, what the world is really needing from us is not yet necessarily one more safe couple. No. You know, two people who are you know safely and securely coupled. Right. What the world is really needing from us is each and every one of us to become ourselves fully to wake up to the fullness of ourselves, to liberate ourselves from past patterns and beliefs that have held us back and kept us playing small and begin um, thriving in such a way that we're really expressing our gifts and our talents and our greatness for the benefit of ourselves and for all beings. And so that's going to be a little bit less stable, and that's a very different um, that's a very different way to come together and to partner with people. Right. right? It's a very different paradigm, actually. So I think that's what the breakdown in marriage is and in relationship. And there's a lot of confusion around that and why is that so. And it's, you know, the decay of culture and the decay of morals and all of that stuff. But there is something also, if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective, that's seeking to be born through us. And so really there's this new model of relationship that's coming into being. And that's why we expect and yearn for so much in our partnerships. If we even look back to our mothers when they were um, young women or our grandmothers and how they were choosing their mates was a completely different criteria. Mm-hmm. You know, they were looking for someone who was going to create that kind of stability so that they could raise children and create homes. And that was that. that's really not what we're looking for so much uh, anymore. We, we yearn for those things, but we also want a spiritual partner. We want a best friend. We want uh, someone we can create things in the world with. We're really looking to thrive on every level. So that's a pretty tall order. Mm-hmm. And what it requires of us is is we really have to cultivate ourselves to be that person and to be that mature to really be able to give and receive love at that level and to be able to show up inside of the way that we would need to be in order to create loving, thriving partnerships that are more um, about spiritual union than about economic security and safety. Right, and you say that uh, rarely will the love of your life look the way that you think they will. Now, why is that? Because that's everyone's fear. It's like, oh, no, you know, I'm attracted to this type of person, but, oh, God, don't tell me I'm going to end up with that kind of person. (laughs) You know, it is, I appreciate your saying that because that's the fear that comes up with people. I think we're just very mental and we're very visual, so we automatically assume that a vision is like a checklist of what I can see. I also think in our culture we very often objectify other people as we objectify ourselves. 
like we'll we'll treat our our bodies as though it's an object, you know. So so what I mean by that is that what we're really looking for are certain qualities in the connection that you might not even realize that that's what you're longing for. So in other words, you might have a criteria like, well, he has to be, you know, he has to have this level of education or he has to, you know, he has to look a certain way. But really what you're longing for is the experience of being lit up in mm. his presence, of being turned on, of being completely engaged on every level. Mm-hmm. Um, you're looking for a sense of affinity. You're looking for deep alignment, for a sense of trust and loyalty and goodness and safety. Like all, It's really the feeling of the connection as opposed to like a mental checklist because I don't know about you, but I certainly had relationships with people who like fit all of the criteria, mm-hmm. but there was just like there was a missing heart connection. Right. Right. There was just a missing deeper alignment and connection. And um, one in particular, I was so glad that we had, we both, after six months, kind of looked at each other and said, well, you're like everything that I thought that I wanted, but we just don't love each other enough. There's just not enough juice here. And so I think when we're really looking, when we're talking about a soul connection, we're talking about somebody who cares on the deepest level of their being about the same things that we care about, who's almost here, who almost incarnated in this lifetime to bring forward things that are similar in values. So it's really like this core sense of values and alignment on the deepest level. Mm -hmm. And also these qualities of deep trust and loyalty and connection. But definitely, you want to be visioning that you're just lit up, turned on, there's chemistry, you know, you're you're engaged. You're you're fascinated. You can't wait to you know cuddle and make love with that person because that has to be there. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. right. That but you just don't necessarily know what exactly that's going to look like. It might be you know I had someone who was very very um, who was very very fixated on he needed to have a higher education. But when I really went into it with her, mm-hmm. what she was really acknowledging is that she's very very bright. And she needs a man mm. to be very, very bright, right. too. To keep up with and her. And lo and behold, she ended up meeting someone who didn't have that higher education, but but partially because he blew off school because he was so bright that he started to create things in the world and just generate things in the world. So he was very, very successful and very high-level creativity and kind of a self-taught, on-the-court kind of guy. Mm. And that was really the right person for her. Right. Right. But if she had been looking just on, you know on Match.com and dismissing people because they didn't have that advanced degree, she would have missed him. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned the bedroom earlier, and it's funny because a few months ago, you know, I I hired someone to actually help me clean up and declutter, and before, my bedroom was just a place I did not want to be in. (laughs) I mean, I would go to their sleep, and I would stay out of there the rest of the time, and now it's like, I mean, I read your book, Sitting in Bed. I I love my room now. One wall is pink, and everything's decluttered and clean. I'm like, oh, it Mm. really makes such a difference. So talk about what people have to do to change their bedroom. Well, yeah, I mean, we're really weaving a web energetically. You know, it's very magical, the calling in the one process. You know, we live in a culture where we look to create things in our lives and we kind of make it happen, set your goals. You know, it can be very, very linear. Hit your markers. You need this many sales by this date. Then you're going to do this marketing campaign. You're going to go get this many people on your team. And, you know, and and that, that way of creating is great, but it doesn't necessarily work when it comes to calling in true intimacy 
and a sense of communion and community and chemistry and love. It just doesn't work for that. So what you're doing is um, kind of a more feminine system of creation, if I can call it that, Mm -hmm. where you're becoming magnetic, and it's almost magical, inducing magic. So one of the things you want to do is start to weave the space for things to come in. So you want to have space in your closet, if Mm -hmm. it's at all possible, for him to put his things. You want to clear out one of your drawers so he has a place for his things. Um, In your bathroom, you want to put a few... Uh, things that would be for um, a partner that might not necessarily work for you but would work for him or whoever your beloved would might be. Um, you want to create space for um, intimacy and warmth. You want the bedroom to be intimate and warm. And, you know, just from a feng shui perspective, you want to know which is your love corner, um, which from one particular point of feng shui mm-hmm. is in the right-hand corner the opposite from the door. You want to put an image of couplehood and union and two-ness. You want to have two nightstands by your bed that are similar and two matching lamps if you can. Um, You want to have a very beautiful bed with pairs of pillows, you know, things like this that really kind of weave this web of what it is that you're calling in and magnetizing into your life. Oh, good. I have all those things. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, now, in the mirror, mirror on the wall chapter, you said, "What can't come through, yeah, what can't come through you can't come to you." So, what yes. does that mean? Well, it really means that very often we're desiring um, someone to love us in the way that we are not yet loving ourselves. So it might be that our deepest longing is to find someone who can truly listen to our deeper needs and feelings. And yet, what what we want to be asking ourselves is, well, am I taking the time to really connect with myself on the deeper levels and to identify, take the time to kind of name, welcome, and witness all of my inner feelings, all of my needs, and start to organize my life in such a way that I take those feelings and needs seriously. So in other words, we see over and over and over and over again and calling in the one that relationships with other people really mirror our relationship with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So if you have a pattern of being abandoned over and over again, you want to look and ask yourself where you sacrifice yourself, where you abandon yourself and place the needs of others at your own expense, um, where if you feel that other people don't really Um, extend deeper levels of care, that they don't really get you, that they're not really listening, that somehow they're all about themselves, Mm -hmm. and you get disappeared in the relationship, you want to notice, do I disappear myself? Am I really tending to myself, listening to myself, honoring myself, seeing my true needs and my true feelings? Um, So everything that's happening inside of the pattern, you want to be really asking yourself, how is that a reflection of my own relationship with me? Mm. And you want to begin to alter yourself inside of that and take that on as the primary foundation for being able to create um, a long-term love affair. Because initially, a lot of times what we call falling in love Mm -hmm. is that we might feel, you know, very neglected from childhood and so have deep patterns of self-neglect. 
and then we meet somebody who's very, very good at tending to our every need, and so we fall in love with that person. But six months in, nine months in, a year later or a year and a half later, suddenly we wake up one day and we notice they're treating us just the same way we treat ourselves, and they're no longer tending to everything, but suddenly it's all about them and they're neglecting our deeper needs or they're not really that all that interested in what our feelings are mm-hmm. in those key moments, right? So, and instead of blaming the other person, we get so deeply disappointed. We really want to see that we really can't shortcut the law of attraction. That what's going to happen is you really are going to either pull in people who are really only capable of loving you in a very limited way, or you literally train those people to love you in a limited way. And then it's very difficult to untrain them and retrain them unless you have a person in your life who is really deeply committed to their own evolution, their own growth, and and that's the terms of the relationship is we're here to support each other's evolution and growth, and you can talk about it from that perspective and take full ownership. I really see all the ways that I've trained you to not tend to me by how I don't tend to myself. I'm going to go and correct that within my relationship with myself, and I ask you to become more conscious and aware of it yourself and to you know do your best to start to grow in that area as well, if you're so moved and if you want to continue the relationship. What are some ways that you find that people don't attend to themselves? Well, the, the, most, the most pervasive uh, thing that I, just, that I find, that I think we find in our work, because I've, I've been working with thousands of people ever since the book came out. We run teleclasses and we have a monthly membership program on the Calling in the One site where we um, are coaching people on an ongoing basis. So I've, I've really had um, kind of a first row seat. And I think that the, the number one thing is that really is the number one obstacle to love or what we call like core, a core sense of self, a core identity of self. Um, I am alone. I am not wanted. I am not safe, which really came um, from childhood woundings. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that we don't tend to ourselves is that we actually try and dismiss and override these parts of ourselves, and we'll do it with very good means. Like we'll do them with affirmations sometimes, or we'll try and run right out and learn certain communication skills about how to assert myself. But what we really are calling in the one want to, to learn how to do is to get into relationship with the part of the self that feels unloved or unwanted and begin on a very tender, deep level be able to kind of challenge these beliefs and to help mentor the part of the self that's kind of stuck inside of them. It's to kind of grow this part of ourselves into a healthier perspective. You know, a lot of the core beliefs that you and I and the, our listeners have all been struggling with for many, many, many years, we've kind of been in therapy with it or we've done, you know, a lot of workshops with it and yet they keep showing up over and over and over again. Well, why is that? Well, that's because we can't necessarily dominate these parts of the self into submission and into being what we want them to be. Mm -hmm. What we really need to do is to begin to identify them and ask that part of yourself, how old are you? Right? Because if you actually really listen, Mm. the answer is going to come up, I'm four. Wow. Or I'm, I'm seven. You know, or I'm nine, and and whenever what was what was happening at the time, through the limited perspective of where we were at the time with our little child minds, we're trying to understand things, and we really didn't understand the complexities of our parents being alcoholics or heartbroken or distracted or whatever they were doing. We made it mean something about us or about life or about relationship, and we globalized it. 
And we've never actually gone back and challenged the assumption and seen it for what it is, which is just something that you said to yourself when you were a little girl Mm -hmm. or a little boy trying to make sense of something that was deeply confusing. And so from this now adult perspective, with all the work that we've done, and clearly I already know your listeners have done a lot of work, otherwise they wouldn't be listening to you because Mm -hmm. you're talking about the real stuff here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're all questing here. And and what we haven't necessarily done is from this adult center, being able to then talk to this four-year-old self and say, sweetheart, it's not actually true that you're alone. I'm here. I'm with you. And there are many people in the world who would love you if you would only give them an opportunity to by allowing yourself to be vulnerable and open and soft and let people in and let people contribute to you. And I want you to know that, you know, I understand that that was a very alone experience with your mother and that was very, very sad. But that's not what's happening now and that's not the possibility of your life. And as a matter of fact, the deeper truth is you were born to be in deep relationship. And you have a great capacity for intimacy and mutuality and care. And that's what we're learning how to do right now. And that's what's going to happen. So it shall be. You know, it's a very generative place. Mm -hmm. And that's where we start to then create possibilities that did not yet exist. If you're someone who has no sense of possibility, you know, there are many of us, well, that's for other people, but not necessarily Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's because there's some belief that was formed in childhood that literally shuts down possibility. And what we want to start to tend to within ourselves is get related to that part of the self, ask it how old it is, ask it what it believes, and then really as the rich adult person that you have cultivated yourself to be, start to mentor that part of yourself. Come at that part of the self from this deeper, wider center that has access to wisdom and perspective and a whole new level of power to evolve your life and yourself forward so that you can create exactly what it is that you're desiring. That's that's wonderful. You know, earlier you mentioned about setting an intention. So what are the four steps to setting an intention? You know, I wrote that like five years ago, and I've actually really evolved it. Okay, (laughs) that's fine. (laughs) We've been working so much and with so many people that, you know, I've gotten a chance to work in what really, really, really works with people. Uh The main thing that that actually isn't, and this is why I encourage people actually to, if you can and if you're, you know, open to it, to actually take a teleclass with us because the book in and of itself talks about being able to set an intention um, based on a future that's kind of unprecedented and unpredictable and uh, be able to share that out loud with others and start to organize yourself around it and start to make decisions and choices inside that future fulfilled. What I would add to it now in terms of how to even know what intention to set Mm -hmm. is to look at the pattern that has shown up over and over again in relationship and begin to craft a vision of what would constitute like a complete departure from that pattern, a complete breakthrough. So if you're a person who has always um, like had a lot of rejection, Mm. for instance, you know, inside of a core belief of I'm not wanted 
And, you know, those of us who had mothers who tried to abort us or were deeply ambivalent about being pregnant or had fathers who were angry that we were born because they didn't want to get saddled down with the burden of raising a family or whatever it is, you know, that's when we get these internalized sense, like a felt sense in the body, I'm not wanted. How that's going to show up in life is rejection after rejection after rejection. Deeply confusing, deeply agonizing. Right. Very uh, difficult to see how one is actually creating that for themselves. And in calling in the one, we really start to break that down and start to notice the covert ways of being where we're actually generating evidence of the belief. So, um, but the, the question you're asking me is inside of intention. Mm-hmm. So the intention you would set would have to be around being with a partner who embraces every aspect of you, who absolutely adores and cherishes you, who is very consistent in how they show up, you know, inside of a very welcoming, warm, embracing energy, Mm -hmm. right? To find that partnership, to create that, and to provide that for your beloved so that it's always mutual, you know, you want to come into a relationship with what is it that you have to give and that you're longing to express. So many of us just intuitively know that we cannot come into the fullness of who we really are unless we have people to love and extend ourselves for, right? It's not mm-hmm. just all about me, and we know that intuitively. We're longing to be in a communal situation so that we can experience great love and we can express selflessness or tenderness or these deeper levels of care where we have to rise to the occasion and grow ourselves in order to give that level of love. And so that's what we're really longing for. So I would put all of those felt senses in the body inside the intention as well. And then it's very important that you begin to organize your life around that future fulfilled and get a sense of the self that you would be if that intention were already fulfilled now. If you already had that How would you be showing up differently in life with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, just being at the grocery store, interacting with the, you know, the person behind the counter? How might you actually be different inside of already being loved, nurtured, cared for, known, supported at that level? Mm -hmm. And that's the transformation of identity. And that's really what becomes magnetic to love and bringing mm-hmm. in the person who's the right person for that. So it's this real sense of embodying and being that as, as, as a way to activate the magnet mm-hmm. to attract in that person. And you just mentioned intuition a few minutes ago. So how can someone access their intuition so they'll know what they need to know? It's such a good question, and we've been working on this, too, in the last few years, and actually it kind of goes into the new work that we've been creating, and maybe I'll come back another time and speak about that called sure. the new feminine power, mm. um, because intuition uh, is, is a very big part of this work. It's one of the what we call the power bases of the feminine is our relationship to the greater field of life and how we're able to kind of feel into the field and sense the myriad of possibilities and start to partner with the energies of the creative force of life to bring forward the flourishing of our lives on all levels. And so intuition is a very big part of this kind of partnership with the field and being able to be deeply receptive and to living life from this place of receptivity and from this place of deep listening. 
So one of the things that gets in our way in terms of being able to access uh, the deeper levels of intuitive knowing are these unhealed wounds at the level of identity. So in other words, if I have an unhealed wound of I'm not safe, I'm actually filtering in whatever's happening inside of um, a certain belief that other people have ill intent. Mm. <laughs> right? So I'm right. actually filtering that in. And um, inside then of past experiences um, where other people took advantage of me, I'm, I'm, I'm unable sometimes to discern if this feeling that I'm not safe with this person comes from this sense of self that I am not safe and this belief about others that other people have ill intent uh, or the belief about life, which is life is dangerous and unpredictable on some very core level. Am I, am I feeling not safe because I'm listening through that or am I feeling not safe because there's really something off in what this person's telling me? Because it's not resonating as deeply trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Right, so to be able to discern identity versus intuition is a very important skill, and this is a very like a very important skill in terms of really actualizing the greatest possibilities of our lives and to bringing forward and midwifing these possibilities into existence. Because inside the I'm not safe, not knowing, I might make my life smaller and cut people off, um, dismiss people. And and what we're learning, we're going back to this ways of being, what we're learning inside of the I'm not safe belief is that what it is is that very often people who have this I'm not safe experience are very, very sensitive to that which is kind of unseen in the field and can read when something's not true or correct, Mm -hmm. but the interpretation of what that means might be off. So in other words, you might be on a date and uh, the, the guy t- in front of you is telling you that everything's really great with him, but you're getting this feeling like a lack of safety. Well, is that because he's you know out and out lying like he's got another uh, woman or he's married or he's not telling you something very important? Or is that because, um, you know, really he's kind of, you know, having a rough time in his life, but he doesn't want to mm. introduce that too early on because he's afraid that he might scare you off. Right. Right, because those two answers are going to, you know, they're very very different ways you'd navigate the conversation. And how then do you engage? Something doesn't quite feel like you're telling me all the information here, mm-hmm. right, and get him to talk on a deeper level. So it's really cultivating new ways of being that help us to learn how to create safety. So it would be, you know, really in a kind of a very, you know, non-attacking, charming uh, kind way to say, um, you know, you really don't have to tell me everything because we're just getting to know each other, but something, I'm very intuitive and something about what you're saying doesn't quite land mm. and I'm wondering, you know, if you want to share with me on a deeper level, you know, things that are happening for you because I can just kind of sense it anyway. Wow. You know, and, and, and how my, you know, and if he's a really decent person who has the capacity to be richly related as you do in that moment because mm-hmm. that's a very related thing to say very. he's going to say wow you you really are perceptive and I, I just didn't want to you know give you too much but actually I'm being audited by the IRS this week and I'm like completely freaked out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't want that right? <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be yeah right which is very different than something's wrong with him and he has a wife somewhere right he's lying to me Right, it's a very different, and now now you're having a relationship with someone, 
where in the other way you're just going to cut off the possibilities and keep life very small so that you feel safe. That's a very big answer, but you can see yeah. the kind of depth work that we're into now when you take the teleclass. You know, calling in the one is, is, is it covers all of the bases in the 49-day course about all of this kind of identifying the deeper levels of the obstacles and the complexity. I believe in a way that's extremely palpable. I've had many, many hundreds of people email me and say, thank you for the book, I read the book, and now I'm married, you know. Wow. Now I'm with my beloved and my soulmate. But the work is very, very rich and deep when you really get into the deeper levels of the law of attraction and really shifting at the very core level. But that's where the magic happens. You know, when I was doing that inner shifting, I really was shifting on these very deep levels. And, and you know, I didn't really, I did one action, truthfully, because I wasn't dating a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like running, and I, not that I don't think people should date a whole lot, but I personally wasn't being led to run out and date. Right. I was personally being led to stay home, meditate, reflect, recreate my environment, let go of resentments, um, identify my beliefs, do a ritual where I burned up, you know, you know, all of these things, these beliefs that I had that I wasn't valuable, that I was alone, that I was invisible, that no one would ever love me, that relationship was going to hold me back in life. That was what I was being led to do. Mm-hmm. And so I honored that, and I did what I was kind of what my intuitive knowing was to do. And thank God, it didn't make sense with my rational mind. A few times I thought, well, shouldn't I be like out there running around, on <laughs> a dating service or something? Right. But I was not guided to do that. And um, and then when it was right, I really took one action. I went on that internet dating site one time, responded to one person, and that was my husband. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, a, a friend of mine has a similar story, but, you know, he did a lot of inner work also, and he said he wrote a letter to his future beloved before he had even met her. And then he was a producer, and he also um, gave piano lessons, and this woman came to take piano lessons with him. Oh, isn't that lovely? You know, so she That's walked... what happened. Yeah, she just walked into his living room, and off they went. <laughs> well, not that night, obviously, but <laughs> eventually. But so what is your website? Callingintheone.com. Of course. Yes, <laughs> that calling makes in sense. The one, and it's O-N-E, spelled out right. O-N-E, calling the, in the one. Right, O-N-E. Well, thank you so much for writing the book, first of all. It's a great book. Like I said before, I believe everyone, married or not, should read it. And uh, it's been thank a pleasure you. having you on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I, I can't imagine what happened at the beginning of the call, but I so appreciate your tenacity. Oh, no problem. And uh, thank you so much for calling me again. Okay, well, maybe we'll have you back on when you have the other uh, Feminine Power book. We'd, I'd love that. Thank you so yeah. much. Okay, take okay. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was Catherine Woodward Thomas with Calling in the One. So I hope that was very helpful and you learned a lot. I sure did. It's it's um it's a long book, you know. You're not going to read it overnight. I had to like read really fast. Obviously, I couldn't read the whole thing because um, it's 49 different lessons. So if you're really committed to finding the one, then obviously you'll commit yourself to reading um, one lesson a day and it's seven weeks. So thank you so much for joining me. In case you don't know by now, uh, my website is theartoflove.net. If you would like to read an excerpt from my book, Lessons of Love, Lucia's Lessons of Love, you can go to lessonsoflove.net. And um, remember, love inspires, empowers, uplifts, and enlightens. 
You're listening to The Art of Love with your host, Lucia, right here on L.A. Talk Radio.